It is July 11th, 2017, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week, we're going to be talking about my tips and suggestions for photographing Iceland. Before we jump into the show, I do want to acknowledge something that most of you that follow me on social media already know. But as I landed in Iceland, I got the news that my mother had passed away during my flight. She'd been sick for a while, and I knew that, you know, the end was getting close. And I had that really difficult decision of, do I go to Iceland or do I stay and be with my family? But ultimately I had a workshop to teach and me staying wouldn't have changed anything. In fact, it would have only given me a couple hours more with my mother. So I made the decision to go and sure enough, I got the news that she had passed during my flight. It put a huge rain cloud on my trip And it was a pretty large learning experience because I realized how difficult photography is when, you know, your mojo is just non-existent. I was very much just going through the motions of being a photographer. And because of that, when I got back, I was just completely emotionally unattached to all of my photos because of that rain cloud. But mom's in a better place and she's no longer in pain. I guess I'm going to dedicate this episode of the Landscape Photography Podcast to her. So photographing Iceland, there's a reason that Iceland is a mecca for landscape photographers. It is an incredibly diverse and photogenic place. It's called the land of fire and ice for a reason. There's many volcanoes and there's tons and tons of interesting volcanic geology around the island. And there's also the largest glacier in Europe, in Iceland. It's a place with tons and tons of waterfalls pretty much Disneyland for the landscape photographer. So in this episode, I wanted to share with you guys some of my favorite locations and things to keep in mind if you are planning a trip to go photograph Iceland. So I have a couple resources that I highly recommend to anybody that's planning a trip. The first one is from Sarah Marino. It's an excellent ebook called Forever Light. Uh, I think it actually comes in a bundle with uh, her book about Death Valley, but Forever Light is basically a everything you need to know about photographing Iceland book. Incredibly useful. I highly recommend that book. Go check that out. It's got tons and tons of great information. Everything from things to consider when you're traveling to different locations and how to get there. Really useful tool. The other is the map from International Photographer. It's the photographer's map of Iceland. Another really useful tool because it's nice to have a actual paper map for those times when you don't have uh, good Wi-Fi or cell service and Google Maps isn't working so well for you. It's nice to have all of that on paper and to have it from the perspective of a landscape photographer. It's a really, really useful tool. So those two resources, I highly recommend to anybody that's going to Iceland, even if you're just traveling as a tourist and not a photographer, very useful to have. The other thing that I highly recommend people do is to spend a little bit of time on Google Maps or Google Earth 
and create a my maps for the, the area. So what I do is I go in and I create a custom map with a whole bunch of different photographic points that I would like to hit. And I can go in and I can color code by the amount of interest that I have. I can also put a different layer with all of the hotels that I have booked. That way I can research all of my different locations that I plan on going to before my trip. And then when the time comes to actually travel there, I can just click on my little uh, dropper icon and have Google Maps take me right to my location. It's also handy because everything in Iceland is incredibly hard to spell and even harder to say. Uh, sometimes when you can't remember the name of something, going in and saving a location ahead of time saves you a lot of headache. The other thing is make sure that you get Wi-Fi for your vehicle. When you rent a car in Iceland, you have your choice of getting the GPS or you can get Wi-Fi. And the benefit of getting Wi-Fi is the fact that you can use Google Maps and Google Earth to get you get you to places. Google Maps is so much better than GPS that comes in a vehicle. For one thing, you can save all those locations ahead of time and then just touch on your little icon of where you want to go. You don't have to know how to spell something in order to get to it. Also, you can download the, the entire map of Iceland in Google Maps so it's available offline. So you have your route directions even when you're not connected to the internet, which happens pretty often when you're at night in some of the more um, isolated areas in Iceland. Download your map and create a custom map for Google Maps. And that's going to save you a ton of time and a ton of headache and potential <laughs> potential being lost uh, when you're in Iceland. So the next thing is being smart about the time of year that you go. So I've been during three different seasons. I've been during early spring. I believe it was April. I've also been during winter, which was December. And now I've been during the summertime, which was late June, early July. The middle of the summer is peak season in Iceland. It's the peak of tourism. There were just a gazillion tourists there. But the benefit of going in the summertime is that the sun is setting so late in the evening and rising so early that all of those tourists were back at their hotels when the photographers wanted to be there for good light. The tourists were in bed during the best light, which meant that they weren't standing in your shot during the good light. It worked out really well. It really separated photographer hours from tourist hours. So even though we were in the middle of peak season, we didn't have tons of tourists to have to work around. So I would have thought that being there in the wintertime, you know, in Iceland would have cut down on the number of tourists, but that was actually not the case. So many tourists go to get to see the Northern Lights and the Aurora Borealis that there's actually quite a few tourists that go in the wintertime. So my winter trip was actually probably the most difficult to work around all of those tourists because you would be out in the middle of the night waiting for Aurora in would come an entire bus of tourists and their iPads and all of their flashes going off and flashlights pointing in every direction. It was very challenging to work around all of the tourists. So for that reason, in the wintertime, you have to be a little bit more clever about going to some of the more obscure locations that are not the main icons of Iceland because when you go to those icons, there's going to be tourists. When I went in the springtime, we didn't have nearly the amount of tourists. So I think um, according to the numbers, spring and fall, you know, those months of March and April and, you know, September and October seem to be kind of the downtime for tourism. 
summertime and wintertime, those are the peak seasons for tourism in Iceland. I really enjoyed my time going in the summertime because there was no tourists in the way. They were all in the hotels. But the downside is you have to pay peak season prices for everything. So hotels and flights and car rentals, everything is more expensive during the summertime. So for that reason, spring and fall are going to be more affordable times to go to Iceland, although you're not going to get that separation between tourist hours and photographer hours. So other things to keep in mind when it comes to the time of year that you're going. First of all, Aurora Borealis. Aurora can only be seen when the nights get dark enough. And when I was there in April, the skies were still not getting dark enough to be to see Aurora. During the summertime, you don't have a chance because it never gets even to blue hour that time of year because you know the sun is not going far enough below the horizon. The general rule of thumb is that the Aurora can be seen from about mid-September to early March. The nights are just not dark enough after that in order to be able to see the Aurora. Another thing that can only be photographed in the wintertime are the ice caves. Ice caves are an amazing experience if you've never had a chance to be in one. It's basically where water tunnels itself underneath the glacier and it creates just, just this amazing tunnel through the glacier itself and you get to go inside of that and photograph the amazing blue translucent ice. It's really one of those bucket list things, even if you're not a photographer, but as a photographer, it's just a, a totally beautiful experience. It's only safe to go in these ice caves when the weather is very cold, typically mid to late winter. That's the only time that you can do those ice cave tours. So if that's something that is really important to you, that's going to narrow down your time frame that you're going to want to go. You're going to want to go from either mid to late winter when those ice caves are very stable and very safe to be in. So another seasonal thing to keep in mind is the colors that happen in Iceland. Iceland is known as the Green Island. You know, you have Greenland that ironically is full of snow and ice. And then you have Iceland that is ironically very, very green during the summer and late summer months. Iceland is a very volcanic place. There's lots of volcanic geology where there won't be a single tree and there'll just be lots of lava rock. But covering that lava rock, you have these huge fields of moss and the moss gets just neon green. In addition to that, you also have some grasslands with wildflowers. There's lupin just everywhere on the island. This giant lupin plant that is actually kind of an invasive weed now has just taken over huge parts of Iceland. So you can have these tremendous fields of purple wildflowers and little yellow wildflowers as well. So that stuff can only be seen in the summer and late summer months. The, the green moss does stay kind of into the early winter and then starts to go dormant around midwinter. So if you're going for the lupin fields and the really vivid green colors, that's going to be a summer to late summer thing. So that's another thing to consider. Okay, so you've picked your time of year, you're planning your trip now. If you are going during those peak season months, you're going to want to book your hotels well in advance. Tourism in Iceland has just skyrocketed in the last couple of years. The Icelandic people are completely outnumbered by tourists pretty much during every season now. Uh, there's only like 350,000 natives to Iceland and everybody else on the island is a tourist. And because of that, the lodging books out really fast. If it was me and if I was going by myself, I think the way to do it would be to do a mix of getting a camper van 
and then with the occasional night in a hotel. So camper vans are really the way to go. They're just a van that has sleeping accommodations in the back. You can park close to your, you know, your photographic spot in the morning. And it's just a great way to travel. Lodging in Iceland varies heavily depending on where you're at. If you're in the very photogenic southern area, there's just not a lot of lodging. And because there's not a lot of lodging, you end up paying premium prices. We were paying around $200 for nothing more than a closet um, on our last trip. And it was not a nice place, but it was the only place. And so we had to pay those big prices. But if you get up closer to Reykjavik or Harfnenfjorder, the prices come down a little bit and they're a little bit more reasonable and you can get them for around 100 a night. But really the camper van, in my opinion, is really the way to go because it's it's much more affordable and you can stay wherever you want. And there's lots of designated parking places and stuff where you can just kind of car camp and it seems to be the way to go. Okay, so you're there. Now the question is where to go. There are so many photogenic places in Iceland. The southern coast is probably the most popular to visit and photograph. And that's for a reason. There's the area of, and I'm going to butcher all the pronunciations. (laughs) There's a lot of very, very difficult words to say, Um, but Yokusjalan, Yokusjalan, that is the iceberg lagoon. And it is just the most surreal, beautiful place to photograph. You have this glacier that is slowly melting into this big lagoon and these giant icebergs and smaller chunks of ice are falling into the lagoon. They float around for a while, you know, a week, a month or whatever, and then they slowly wash out to sea and then they wash up on Ice Beach or Diamond Beach or there's a bunch of different names for it. Ice Beach is this black sand beach where the ice chunks get washed up onto shore and then you get to photograph the way that the waves interact with these chunks of ice and they as they get smaller and smaller and they shrink they create these really interesting formations every chunk of ice is just like a work of art in itself they all look like these ice sculptures and each chunk of ice is 1500 years old it's just such an amazing and unique place to photograph. It's it's one of the only places in the world that you get to photograph such a thing. It's also a compositional workout for sure because when you're in the iceberg lagoon, there are no really obvious compositions. Sometimes you're trying to isolate a really interesting subject. Sometimes you're looking for repeating patterns. It just may, really makes you look and think about what it is that you're photographing. And you can spend hours and hours photographing there. It's a really fun place to shoot. And it's just such a neat experience to just walk around in this very still, very tranquil uh, lagoon with all of these huge mammoth chunks of ice in it. It's probably my favorite spot on the entire island. Another favorite spot of mine is Vesterhorn. Vesterhorn is this mountain outcrop in the southeast part of Iceland um, near the town of Hafen. And it's this really photogenic mountain outcrop with several different interesting foregrounds to put underneath it. That During high tide, there's this kind of tidal flat where you can photograph the reflection of the mountain off of that off of the still water that in the foreground. And then to the right of that, there's a beach coastline where you can get, you know, waves leading up to the mountain. And then if you go a little further away, then there's these black sand dunes with green grasses growing out the tops. 
And there's all kinds of different uh, compositional possibilities there. And if you timed it right, which is the hard part, if you time it right, you can get there and get several really good, very different shots um, during good light. The hard part is that Vester Hornet has notoriously bad weather. I've been skunked four out of five times there. And then one time I got a good shot. Um, it's just a very volatile piece of landscape there where the storms are just constantly going through. So it can be kind of challenging in that way. There are also a million different waterfalls in Iceland. I don't know exactly how many, but I know it's in the thousands and many of them are really large and really iconic. There are waterfalls like Seljalandsfoss and Skagafoss, which are the very touristy ones. Seljalands uh, Foss is the big waterfall that you see shots from back behind the waterfall and it's a total mist machine. You're going to get soaked when you go and you're also going to struggle with tourists because it's a very popular place for the tourists to go. They show up by the busload. Uh, same is true for Skagafoss. It's just this huge curtain style waterfall that is just an immense amount of water falling and it is the most touristy place in all of Iceland. It's it can be really challenging to work around the tourists because the access is so easy. You basically drive up to the base of it, people walk up and stand right in your shot. Very frustrating place to shoot. So I would put both of those fairly low on the priority list. It's one of those places where you go just to see it but maybe just keep in mind that you're going to be struggling with other tourists there. As far as places where you won't struggle with nearly as many tourists, Gadafoss in the northern part of Iceland is one of my favorite places to shoot. You can shoot it from both sides of the river and it looks completely different from both sides. And the nice part is that it's far less touristy. Um, it's still easy to access. The tourists are just not nearly as thick there. I've never seen a fraction of the number of tourists there as I have at places like Skagafoss. Probably the most popular place to photograph in all of Iceland is Kirkjufellfoss. So anything that ends in the word foss means waterfall. And that means that this is the waterfall that is in front of Mount Kirkjufell. It is one of the most fun places to shoot because there's, again, there's just a whole bunch of different compositional possibilities. You have this double or maybe it's even a triple waterfall that you can use as a foreground leading up to this really iconic peak that is Mount Kirkjufell. Mount Kirkjufell is not the largest peak in the world. It's actually when you get there, you're like, really? That's it? Because <laughs> you've seen so many photos of it. But it's just really, really photogenic. It's and it's really probably the most iconic shot that you see from Iceland. But it is a very fruitful, very fun place to shoot. You can go a little bit further downstream and get reflections of the mountain off of the water in the wintertime. Um, the entire complex kind of starts to freeze up and you get really interesting ice formations and stuff. Very fun place to shoot and it's well worth your time to go there uh, regardless of the time of year. And it's worth fighting the other tourists because they can't get in your shot quite as much as they can some of the other places. You know, you're just getting right up to the waterfall and using it as a foreground rather than shooting from way far away and then just getting really mad at all the tourists in your shot. Highly recommend that spot. As far as photographing wildlife in Iceland, probably my, my favorite experience shooting wildlife in Iceland is up in the West Fjords, 
where you can go out to the the end of one of the fjords and photograph puffins. I've seen puffins in the wild, but I've never seen them quite so close up. This is a place where the puffins are absolutely not afraid of people at all. And you can sit on a rock and they will land like a foot away from you and just kind of stare at you. Such a cool, surreal experience to be able to photograph puffins in their natural habitat. And you can just photograph them all day long. They fly up to the cliffs where you're shooting from. So they fly towards you with all of their sardines and stuff that they're fishing for. And you get to kind of photograph them arguing and fighting with each other and and fighting for position on the rocks. There's also a whole bunch of different waterfowl that kind of perched on that cliff as well. Really a cool spot. Uh, very remote though. If you're in the West Fjords, it is an incredibly far distance to everything. Um, to get out to there, you're about three and a half hours on a gravel road from the closest hotel. Again, that's a great place for a camper van because you can just drive out there and then sleep for the night. Also, other wildlife that they have in Iceland, they have some Arctic fox and they also have reindeer, which is kind of cool. So you can photograph Sven in his natural habitat and not really wildlife, but the most popular animal in Iceland to shoot are the Icelandic horses. The Icelandic horses are a breed all of their own and they are very beautiful. They're, they're kind of a short, stocky half pony, half horse style breed, a very short stocky breed with very long flowing manes. They all look like they're straight out of a shampoo commercial or something. They have very long flowing manes, which makes them very photogenic. And they are just prolific all over the island. You can see them absolutely everywhere. And they're very, most of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but most of them are very friendly as well. During my little workshop that I just got done doing, we actually went out in a field with about 30 or 40 of them and they just kind of all came up and they're hanging out with us. And so you're photographing these horses with a 16 to 35 lens and just getting really artistic, creative shots, a whole lot of fun to photograph the horses. So as far as gear recommendations, when you're traveling to Iceland, there's lots of opportunities for wide angle landscapes. Uh, another thing that we haven't even touched on are some of the oceanscapes that are possible. Vic is probably my favorite place to photograph the ocean. If you do go to Vic, though, be very careful. Uh, people get sucked into the ocean all the time there because the beaches are very steep and the waves come in very fast and very far and they suck people out all the time. We actually had two people in our workshop get hit by a wave. They were around 50 feet away from where the waves had been coming in. And then just this one rogue wave comes in and knocks them both down, breaks a tripod, ruins a camera body, ruins a phone, probably ruins a lens. Be very careful when you're shooting anywhere around the ocean in Iceland, but you're going to want a wide angle lens. You're also going to want something fairly telephoto. We had people come with 100 to 400s, and I think most of the time they were using that 100 to 200 range. So anything up to 200, you're, you're probably going to be covered. There's not really a need for like a 150 to 600 or anything like that. And also you want to cover those medium focal ranges as well. So you want something from wide angle to around 400 if you got it, 200 if you don't, and you'll be fine there. Also, another thing I highly recommend are the NRS boundary socks. I used to talk about these heavily on my previous podcast, and for good reason, they are absolutely amazing when you're shooting and standing in water. Basically, what they are is they're a wetsuit that goes up to your knee, and then you can wear some kind of sandal or something over the top of them, 
while wearing those, you can stand in completely frigid waters and keep your feet completely dry. Even if the water comes over your knee, it's, it actually seals against your skin. So your feet are still going to stay dry, even if the water comes up higher than your knee. Uh, so when I'm photographing an ice beach and the waves are coming in and going over my feet over and over and over, I can stand in the water and be fine for, you know, up to an hour and a half or so before my toes start going numb. So really, really useful anytime you're shooting around water and you find yourself shooting around water a lot in Iceland. Bring lots of batteries, bring some weatherproofing or a small umbrella. It rains a whole lot in Iceland. It's a very wet place. And for that reason, you're going to want to have something to keep protect your camera. You know, I'm not the most protective of my gear. So oftentimes what I do is I just have a microfiber towel and then I keep it kind of draped over the top of my camera, which is going to keep all that rain from going in my buttons. And usually that's plenty to uh, protect your camera or to just occasionally dry it off, pull it out, dry off the top of your camera, stick it back in your pocket. So microfiber towels and or a way to protect it from the mist when you're at places like Cellulansfoss. Also, another thing is a USB power bank. I have the giant power bank from Anchor, and I use that pretty often to, to charge my phone and other stuff like that. But if for you Sony users out there, you can actually charge your Sony batteries from that or just run your camera completely off of that power bank. Really useful thing. They're not terribly expensive and they can really save you when you're not around, you know, electrical outlets. Also, when you're going to Iceland, you really want to have a quality tripod. I, I like a big Herky tripod. My, my personal tripod is the really right stuff. Three, four L. Um, but really any large tripod is going to help you a whole lot when you're standing in water, when you're standing in, you know, in a river stream and you, it just gives you that extra stability. A lot of times in Iceland, you're photographing in the wind and that, that wide base that you get from a nice large tripod helps a lot with the stability. Also, because you're shooting in sand so often, I highly recommend the long spikes that you can get for your tripod. I personally use the Desmond brands tripod spikes. They run about 35 bucks for a set of three, which is a lot more affordable than the really right stuff ones that run for 33 bucks each. It's nice when you have a spike because you can jam your tripod down into the sand. You're going to have a nice firm base. And when a wave comes in, it's not going to undermine your tripod and, and make it shake. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are heading to Iceland, hopefully there's a tip in there somewhere that you can use that will make some part of your trip a little bit smoother. Uh, remember that you can always go and talk to me or all the other listeners of the group over at Facebook. Just do a search for the Landscape Photography Podcast, and we have a group there where we're all talking and conversing with each other. If you have not already reviewed the show, please go over to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcast catcher and leave a review there. It helps us get this show out to other listeners. Thank you guys so much. Sorry for the kind of downer intro. I just want to keep things real and transparent uh, as far as what's going on in Nickland. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>